0: If you're listening to this podcast on YouTube, for a better experience, switch to the video version. The link is in the top right corner of the video and in the episode description. Hello and welcome. I'm Fernando, a GP in the UK. Today we're looking at the NICE updates published in January 2024, focusing on what is relevant in primary care only. And to be honest, there has not been any major change, only minor tweaks in the guidelines on sepsis, and COVID-19. Today's episode is not very long, so let's jump into it. The first clinical area is sepsis. We can't really look at the whole sepsis guideline here, so let's just look at the update, which points out four aspects. First, that temperature may not rise in cases of spinal cord injury. We know that some groups of people with sepsis may not develop a raised temperature. These include people who are older or very frail, young infants or children, people having cancer treatment, people severely ill with sepsis and after this update people with a spinal cord injury. Second, we should suspect neutropenic sepsis also in immunosuppression which is not related to cancer. That is, we should now suspect neutropenic sepsis and send them to hospital if they become unwell and are having or have had systemic anti-cancer treatment within 30 days or are receiving or have received immunosuppressants for reasons not related to cancer, obviously using our clinical judgment. Third, we should give early antibiotics when the person is at high risk from sepsis. This means that if the transfer time to the emergency department is likely to be more than one hour, we should give antibiotics if high-risk criteria are present, and if meningococcal disease is specifically suspected, We will give appropriate doses of parenteral benzyl penicillin. And finally, we should use a National Early Warning Score for sepsis. And this is the most interesting part of the update. So let's have a look at it in a little bit more detail. NICE says that the National Early Warning Score should be done in ambulances and secondary care. But it is not expected in primary care. So let's have a look at what NICE says that we have to do in primary care. Firstly, we should always ask ourselves, could this be sepsis, if there are infection symptoms, taking into account that these symptoms may be nonspecific, like for example feeling very unwell. As part of initial assessment in primary care, we will carry out a thorough examination, examining the skin for a mottled appearance, cyanosis and rashes, and checking the temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate, oxygen saturation and level of consciousness for everyone. For those aged 12 and over, we will also check the blood pressure. And for the under 12s, we will check the capillary refill. And if it is abnormal, we will check the blood pressure if we have the equipment, including a correctly sized blood pressure cuff. We will also inquire about urine output in the previous 18 hours. If we're worried about sepsis, we should send the patient to hospital. Like stated earlier, If in addition there are high-risk features, we should also consider early antibiotics if there's going to be more than one hour's delay. So what are these high-risk features? Well, for those aged 12 and over, they are as follows. A new altered mental state, respiratory rate of 25 breaths per minute or more, new need for oxygen, at least 40% or more, to maintain saturation more than 92%, more than 88% if known to have COPD, being aware that pulse oximeters can underestimate or overestimate oxygen levels, and that overestimation has been reported in people with dark skin, systolic blood pressure of 90 or less, or more than 40 below the normal range, heart rate more than 130 beats per minute, no urine output in the previous 18 hours, mottled or ashen appearance of the skin, cyanosis and a non-blanching petechial or purpuric rash when we will consider meningococcal disease. Now let's go back to the National Early Warning Score or NEWS2 that we were talking about earlier. The National Early Warning Score or NEWS2 tool was designed by the Royal College of Physicians to be used in adults in addition to clinical judgement. To assess a person's risk of deterioration. It is now advised in children or pregnant women or in cases of spinal cord injury. The new STOOT tool scores the same things that we already measure in primary care that is, temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate, oxygen saturation, blood pressure, and level of consciousness. A score is given to each value where the high risk criteria that we have just mentioned score 3 points, and other abnormal but less severe criteria, only 1 or 2 points. I will not go through this score chart today, but if you want to look at it in more detail I have put relevant links in the episode description. And when interpreting the risk from sepsis using the new 2 score, we will recognise that a score of 7 or more suggests high risk from sepsis, and we should arrange immediate admission. A score of 5 or 6 suggests a moderate risk from sepsis and we should arrange an urgent hospital assessment. A single parameter scoring 3 points is a red flag and we should discuss it with the hospital medical team. A score of 1 to 4 suggests a low risk from sepsis but we should still use our clinical judgment. A score of 0 should not be interpreted as indicating that there is no risk from sepsis and the patient will still need to be monitored. In summary, while a formal NEWS2 assessment is not mandatory in primary care, in practice, by measuring all relevant parameters and recognising high risk values, we are effectively applying the NEWS2 system. That is why it is a good idea for us to have a good understanding of it. Let's now move to the second clinical area, which refers to the COVID-19 rapid guideline both in managing COVID-19 itself and also managing the long-term effects of COVID. The update is presentational only and the recommendations are largely unchanged. But since we're here, I will give you a very brief summary. In respect of the management of acute COVID-19, I will keep it extremely brief. We will assess the severity of COVID, checking what we have just discussed in the sepsis guideline, that is, temperature heart rate, respiratory rate, oxygen saturation, blood pressure, and level of consciousness. And we will consider using the new tool here too, sending the patient to hospital when necessary. In terms of managing cough in the community, we will encourage people to avoid lying on their backs, because this makes coughing less effective. And to manage fever, we will advise paracetamol or ibuprofen, explaining that there is insufficient evidence to link non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and worsening COVID. Now let's address the long-term effects of COVID and let's remember that acute COVID refers to the first four weeks, ongoing symptomatic COVID to between 4 and 12 weeks and post-COVID syndrome to more than 12 weeks. The term long COVID is commonly used and it includes both ongoing symptomatic COVID-19 and post-COVID-19 syndrome, that is, anything that is longer than 4 weeks. Examples of the most commonly reported symptoms in long COVID are respiratory symptoms like breathlessness and a cough, cardiovascular symptoms like chest tightness, chest pain or palpitations, general symptoms like fatigue, fever and pain, neurological symptoms like brain fog, loss of concentration, memory issues, headache, and dizziness gastrointestinal symptoms like abdominal pain nausea and vomiting and diarrhea ENT symptoms like tinnitus sore throat loss of taste and or smell and nasal congestion dermatological symptoms like skin rashes and hair loss mental health symptoms like depression anxiety and ptsd symptoms and in addition absence or reduced performance in education work or training in terms of investigations, we will offer tests and investigations tailored to the symptoms. If clinically indicated, we will offer blood tests, which may include a full blood count, kidney, liver, and thyroid function tests, HbA1c, CRP, ferritin, and PNP. For people with postural symptoms, for example palpitations or dizziness on standing, we will check lying and standing blood pressure and heart rate and we will offer a just x-ray for continuing respiratory symptoms. After ruling out severe complications and alternative diagnoses, we will refer to a long COVID clinic. Their management includes a personalized rehabilitation plan, with fatigue management being a key component of this. Breathlessness, fatigue and brain fog are amongst the most commonly reported long-term symptoms. So support for these symptoms is also essential. We will explain that it is known if over-the-counter vitamins and supplements are helpful, harmful or have no effect in long COVID situations. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember that this is not medical advice and it's only my summary my interpretation of the guidelines. You must always use your clinical judgment. Thank you for listening and goodbye.